Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Remember our context today, we've, uh, the context of course is the Lord's Day, first of all, and secondly, Mother's Day, and with that, the, the baptisms that uh, we have just witnessed. Let's give our attention to what God has to say about our, our children and uh, how we are to teach them. Deuteronomy 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which we are going over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Oh Lord, we... We thank you that you instructed your people Israel long ago about instructing their children the importance of it, the blessing of it. And Lord, because you've told us so in the New Testament, we are your people because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so will you help us to listen to your instruction? Will you apply it to us? Will you convict us? Will you move us? Will you teach us? As a loving father to his children, we need to hear a word from you, and we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to focus today on uh, two of the vows that were taken this morning. One of the vows that the parents up here took, and then the vow that you who are part of this congregation, if you raised your hand, the vow that you took. Let me remind you, this is going to be vow number three 
to the parents, they were asked, do you now unreservedly dedicate your child to God and promise in humble reliance upon divine grace? In other words, saying, look, I, I can't, I would not stand here and take a vow unless by your grace you empower me to fulfill it. That's how we understand this. Humble reliance upon divine grace. That you will endeavor to set before him a godly example. That you'll pray with and for him. That you'll teach him the doctrines of our holy religion. And that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And then I ask you as a congregation... Do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of this child? Now, I have to tell you that for my wife, Connie, and me, uh, we have four children, and that that vow was particularly precious to us. For most of our uh, child-rearing years, we did not have grandparents around. We did in the later years. But for most of the years, we were away. And uh, I, I could not look out. I didn't baptize my own children. We had other pastors come. And, but every time I looked out and I saw a congregation raising their hand, yes, it, 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 uh, it was hard for me to to grasp emotionally. That's why I always say that's your extended family because to us it was, it was very, very real. We knew that our, our children had aunts and uncles and grandparents, none of which lived near us, but all of which lived near us. And they were saying, we're, we're going to... We're going to help you in this. We're going to be your family in this. Now, in those two vows, there's a common phrase, and and that is nurture, nurture and admonition. And we're going to talk about those. But I want to start, I want to reverse those two vows and start with a congregational vow. Uh, And here's why. I don't want you to think that this is a message just for those that stood up here. Uh, because it's, it's not. Uh, it's for all of us. It is for those of you that took the vow today, whether you have children of your own or not. This message is for those who have taken the vow previously in terms of assisting the parents. It is for those who have children and have had them baptized. And it is also for those who've chosen not to have their children baptized. But nonetheless, you love your children and you want what we have talked about. You want them growing up knowing the Lord. So it's for all of us in those categories. Now, I have to admit that maybe it's unfair uh, to ask you earlier to take that vow. Do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting 
the parents and the Christian nurture of this child. To ask you, will you take this vow? And now I'm about to explain to you what vow you took. here's, Here's how it works. We have to take the vow so we can find out what's in the vow, okay? Stay with me on this. It might be unfair, but I, I think it's pretty straightforward. Uh, everything I'm, I'm saying that pertains to the baptismal vow applies to all of us as a congregation undertaking the responsibility to assist the parents. What, I, what we're saying basically is this. We all have a role here in this. Now, it doesn't stop after you raise your hand and encourage the parents at that point, though that was big. We're going to talk about the Christian nurture of a child in, in a few minutes as, as we look at the other vow. But here's the question, how can we help? I want to, real quickly, three ways. Three very practical ways you can, you can help and you can begin to fulfill that vow. The first one is you can pray for those children and for their parents. They have stood in front of their peers, in front of a congregation, but way, way bigger than that, they have stood in front of an all-knowing and all-seeing God, and they have said, this is what we will do by your divine grace, but this is what we will do. You must pray for them. Don't underestimate that. Don't don't say, yeah, but what can we really, really do, you know? That's our tendency. That's it. That's where we start. And that's the foundation. And that's something, uh, here's what I would recommend. Every time you uh, see one of those children and others you've taken vows for, you know, when you're here in the church and one of them runs in front of you and you have to stop and... Pray for them. Pray for their parents. Use that as a reminder. When you see them here and when you see parents sometimes, and I don't see any right now, so I'm not calling anyone out, but sometimes struggling with their children here in worship, pray for them. Those of you that have had children, remember. (laughs) And I know you will pray for them. Because we all know what it's like to feel that pressure of, uh, you know, are we disturbing? When do we take them out? You know, those kinds of things. So absolutely. And don't underestimate that. Secondly, there's an informal influence that you can have. Uh, I've been encouraged to see some in our church in the older generation. I'm not going to define that, but in the older generation serving as surrogate grandparents. And I love seeing that, where a child will run in, and especially when I first came here, I didn't know relationships, and they'll, they'll, they'll run up and hug somebody, and I just assume they were actually related, and I find out later, no, they're not. They've just kind of taken on that role as, as more grandparents and, and so on. Um, let me ask you this. Do you know the names of children in this church? You're not going to know all of them. 
But how about the children that sit in your section? Yeah, I know you have a section. I mean, <laughs> you see somebody out there and you say, oh yeah, they sit in my section of the church. Or You must be from another section of the church, okay? <laughs> but at least the children in your section, and do you know their names and do you call them by their names? That's big. That's important to children, and it will help you in, in praying for them. And then thirdly, there's a, that's, that's indirect in terms of, you know, treating them uh, like your children. And then the third is a direct influence. And here's what I mean by that. And I think all these are a part of, of that vow. Uh, it takes 36 people to work with our children every, every week. It takes close to 100 people to work with our children for music and arts camp. Last year, it, uh, we had 80 people working with our children for vacation Bible school. Now, that's a lot of people. They're not all teachers. Most of them aren't. Most of them are just doing other things for these ministries to take place. And we have a little over 700 members. You can see... We need a lot of you, uh, a lot of you. We, we've got some uh, members who are in the children's ministry, and I mean this in the most positive sense, they're lifers. <laughs> you know what I mean? They've, they've taught there forever. And I love to see that, but we need new lifers to come along too. And we need those that can't be a lifer but can, can jump in here and there. And so I want you to, to pray about whether when you raised your hand, is that a part of what, what you ought to be considering in terms of our children? Now, on June 22nd, we're going to have a ministry fair. And in, in our worship, we're going to talk about using our gifts and, and so on more and how you can volunteer, but I don't want you to wait for that in terms of children's ministry. I want to encourage you. Just pray about that. Is, is that something I ought to consider doing? And we've all got all kinds of positions. Some you can do just on a very occasional basis. So those are three uh, aspects to that vow. But let's look at now, what's it mean? We took the vow to help nurture them. What does that mean? What is in the, the vow the parents took? What is nurture and admonition? I, I've chosen Deuteronomy 6. I don't know if there's a better passage in Scripture to explain the pattern that God has laid down uh, for us in terms of nurturing our children. So I want us to look at those verses. Uh, we're going to go through them quickly, but... Um, uh, look at this passage. The, in verse 1 it says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it. It talks about commands, statutes, and rules. Uh, other versions say decrees and laws. Those all sound very... Um, um, Boating, but it's the Word of God. 
That's what it's talking about. It's not limited to the Ten Commandments or even the expansion of the Ten Commandments. It's talking about the Word of God. George Barna, who is a a pollster, and he focuses upon church issues uh, and Christian concerns, he's done a lot of uh, study, and he, he did one about our children and what kind of understanding they have and he actually wrote, uh, or they compiled it into a book called Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions. But here's the concern. It shows that among many, there's a spiritual confusion. For instance, nine out of ten of the children they surveyed um, accept the existence of God and the Trinity. That's a good thing. And that people have an eternal soul. More than four out of five want to have a close relationship with God. But, and here's the part that that doesn't fit with the knowledge they apparently had in their head. Half or more believe life has no meaning. That's not half of the children in the world. That's half of those that they would consider uh, children in Christian contexts. Half or more believe life has no meaning and that there's no absolute standard for moral and ethics and that life either is a random series of acts or predetermined, but we have no real say in how our lives unfold. There is a confusion. Do you see the importance of the Word of God in that? The Word of God is is that anchor. That anchor that says, look, here's where you learn these truths. Here's where you learn about God. In fact, there is truth. And because there's truth, life has meaning. And God has graciously offered to us His truth. And when children begin to grasp that, they have an anchor. And that's a necessity in going through this life where everyone else will be arguing against that anchor. Everything else will be trying to pull it out and say, your anchor is imaginary. That's how essential this is. The next verse gives us the reason to teach them to our children. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your, your God, you and your son and your son's son, by, by the way, that, that's way more meaningful to me. When I started teaching this years ago as a young pastor, I applied it to me and my son and my daughters. But then it says, and your son's son. We have grandchildren now. And I see why that's so big. It's huge. And this is all a part of what he's commanding here. Uh, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Now, fear of the Lord. When did that become a bad thing? When? I understand that the reason in some people's minds it's a bad thing is because there's a misunderstanding of it. 
Martin Luther, before he really came to understand God's grace and really know Christ, he grappled with this. And he had a fear of the Lord, but it was, it was a fear that paralyzed him, a fear of punishment, that if he made the wrong move or said the wrong thing, that he was in danger of eternal damnation. And that fear just absolutely, literally, physically paralyzed him. And then he met Christ. And then he be, began to understand God's grace. And he made a distinction in fear that I find helpful. He talked about uh, uh, the, the different kinds of fears. For instance, there is a, a servile fear. Now, that, uh, let, me, let me give you some from R.C. Sproul, is a kind of fear that a prisoner in a torture chamber has of his tormentor, the jailer, or the executioner. Dreadful anxiety in which someone is frightened, or the, the kind of fear a slave would have at the hands of a malicious master. That's what most people think before they are Christians. That's what they think when they hear, fear the Lord. But that's not what this is talking about. There is also what Luther called a filial fear, the idea of family when he talked about filial. It's a fear, uh, it refers to the fear that a child has for his father, like a child who has tremendous respect and love for his father or mother and who dearly wants to please them. You see, it's in a, a positive sense. It's not an anxiety of failure and anxiety that I will be punished, but rather it is a, a reverence and a love and respect. That's, that's what this is talking about. Listen to what the Bible says fear can bring, fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord adds length to life. Are these good things for your children? The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. The fear of the Lord leads to life. How could anyone not want that for their children? Now, is there an aspect of another kind of fear? Well, there is a fear. Hebrews 10 says this, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But here's how we use that with our children. Not to threaten them, but, to, but to, we say, you know, it is a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And that's what Jesus did for us. That's what He did for us. He made it so we don't have to fear that we are falling into the hands of an angry God. That's the good news of the gospel that we share with our children. The next verse talks about, I think, talks about enjoying this life. Uh, verse 3, Hear therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them that it may go well with you, 
that you may multiply greatly. You see, these are temporal blessings, blessings in this life. As the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. So he's teaching them not just to look forward to heaven someday and it'll be great and we just kind of endure this whole dreadful life until then. What does our catechism say? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God, I hear the little rumble, yeah. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, forever doesn't start after we die. We're in forever. So, you see, we are to enjoy Him. He talks about those parts of our life that we can enjoy. So here's the balance. We teach our our children a proper longing for heaven, saying, look, this world's not our home. You You think there are good things here. Heaven's way better than anything we're enjoying here, but live life to the fullest here. But understand, there's always going to be something better. So we teach them that balance. Yeah, we're pilgrims. The world's not our home. But while we're here, he gives us opportunity for joy. That's what we need to teach our children. And then teaching them the absolute truth about our God. Verse 4, this is called the, the Shema, and it was precious to, if any of you have Jewish background, it was precious to Jews to hear this because this is what set them apart. When they would hear this, they would say, that's who we are. That's the God we worship. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. See, that set them apart from all the lands and the countries and the religions around them. Our God is one. And that's who we worship. And then it talks about a wholehearted devotion. Verse 5 and 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Have you ever done that even for one minute? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. All your soul and all your might. If your devotion to God is lukewarm, your children's devotion to God will be cold. Barring an intervention from God Himself. If you're lukewarm in what you do, your children are going to be cold. It doesn't go the other direction naturally unless God intervenes. So how do we get these truths across to our children and then so that they will pass them on to their children? Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you, you get that? Not just when they come to Sunday school. 
when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. He's just saying all the time. That's what he's saying in a simple way. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, we, they, they take this, many people in Israel today take this literally. A week and a half ago, we were at the Wailing Wall. And you don't have to be there to see this, but it, it's everywhere there. You see where it says that you, you shall uh, bind them as a sign on your hand and shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You see the men there. There's a men's side and, and a women's side. And you can go down to the wall, but I kind of stood behind a curtain. I felt like a peeping Tom. I just, it was, but I was, you know, watching them. And the men, they take these straps, phylacteries they're called, and they wrap them, and they, they have a certain way to wrap them around their hand. And there's a box right here, bound to their arm. Inside is the Word of God. And then they put this thing on their head, and there's a little box on their head. And inside of that is the Word of God. And then in their homes, they, at their doorposts, they have what they call a mezuzah. And they even had them in the hotels. Every hotel room we went into had one of these. And it's a little thin box. And as, as they, uh, it's been blessed and inside is the Word of God. And as they walk in, they, they touch it. It's a kind of a kiss with the hand. They touch it, and then they go on in, and it's a reminder that in this place is peace, and it's governed by the Word of God. Now, I'm not suggesting that. I don't believe, actually, that's the right application. But they're taking it seriously. And so, what we must do is say, well, you know, without the phylacteries and all that, how are we going to do this? How are we going to keep the Word of God in front of our children at all times? First of all, it says this. We are to teach them diligently to our children. Some of your versions say, impress upon them. Now, I have, ha- I have heard parents sincerely wanting to do the right thing and also sincerely falling into political correctness saying, I want my children to, to grow up and make their own decision. They mean well, those parents. But you know what? Realistically, do you do that with anything else? Do you say that with their nutrition? You know, I'd like, I let them eat whatever they want. I want them to own their own decision. Of course we don't do that. I let them decide whether they want to go to school or not so that they can own their own decision. We don't, we don't do that. You know, I got... Uh, I just plant a few vegetables every year, and I got them in late. 
because I was on a trip and it was cold here. Anyway, suppose two weeks ago I said, hey, you want to see my garden? And you said, yeah, let me see your garden. And so I say, well, come on out back. And we come out back and I, they say, well, where is it? And I say, well, it's right there. And you're looking and all you see is a bunch of weeds. You say, well, that's, that's not a garden. And I say, oh, you know what? I didn't really want to impose upon the dirt there. And I wanted it to decide if it was going to bear fruit and what it would bear also. You see how silly that is? What happens? The weeds take over. You know, if, if we create a void, the weeds will take over. We are to impress upon them. You can't make anyone believe, but you can impress upon them in the most glorious and positive and winsome way the glory of the gospel and our faith. So then, as we impress upon them, it's a lifestyle discipleship. That's the idea of when I, when I rise up. It's telling parents it's not about getting your kids here to Wednesday night ministry or Sunday morning Sunday school. It is about that. But if that's all they're getting, it's not enough. They got way more things out there that are going to offset those two little opportunities. It's what's your home teaching them? What are you, mother and father, teaching them? Parents know this. Every decision you make for yourself and for your children, every priority that you set or don't set, every purchase you make, everything you participate in or don't participate in is under scrutiny by your children. And they are learning. You are impressing upon them something. Are you impressing upon them these things of God? Some of you will remember a few years back now, we'll probably hear about it again before long, there was a book out called It, it Takes a Village to Raise a Child. And that, you know, it was, uh, it was from a, an old saying that, look, it takes a, a lot of people, you know, the, our whole village in order to rightfully raise a child. And while it might have had a different philosophy, I, I'd just like to change that just a little bit and agree in this sense. It takes a covenant community to raise a child. And we have this wonderful opportunity to assist these parents in the nurture, Christian nurture, of these children. May God give us the grace and the strength to do that. Let's pray together. Lord, our children need us to be sold out to Christ. Sold out. Will you, will you help us? 
we waver far too easily. Will you reinforce us? Will you equip us? Will you empower us? For your honor and glory, and in Jesus' name, amen.